Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody. It's good to have a, a heat wave come through like we've had uh, today. Uh, but it, it actually is, is always comfortable when there's more sunshine, and it's nice to be out and to be gathered together. Do you ever look through the Bible and just wonder, why is that in here? Why do we need this? I've thought about that a time or two. And, and by the way, I, I don't think God's offended if we think that. Uh, I trust in the providence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver us what we need to learn and understand about Jesus and about our God. But there are times when I have to go, I don't know why we have this. Um, Song of Solomon, we talked about that this morning in our, our Bible class. I, I don't know. I don't know why that's in there. Um, some of the other prophets and, and some of the, the stranger, more obscure things that you find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there's one that always jumps out to me and I just think, why do we have this? And that for me is the book of Philemon. Uh, the book of Philemon, and this is true of all of Paul's epistles and all the epistles in the New Testament, I mean, it's private correspondence. We have to remember that. Paul or, or James or whoever didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write a book that will last for thousands of years for Christians to read. They sat down and said, I'm going to write someone a letter. And the letter was passed around, proliferated, copied, and we have it. Somehow, we ended up with the private correspondence of these wonderful authors to other individuals and groups. But Philemon is even far more private. The rest of Paul's letters go to churches, groups of Christians, whole cities, regions where they were brought to the synagogue and proclaimed. This one is very private. This one is from one individual to another individual. And it's really hard. Uh, I, I don't think there's any other uh, part of the New Testament that is correspondence from one individual to another individual. You can make the argument that uh, Luke and Acts, because it is written for Theophilus, but even still, it's a broad historical scope of a writing. It's intended to be spread to a larger audience. But Philemon is one individual writing to another individual about a matter that only those two individuals care anything about. It is a private message on a private matter that in no way would impact anyone else. So why do we have the book of Philemon? We call it the book. It's a, it's a letter. It's a note. It's a, three by, it's a postcard. Why do we have it? Well, we're going to read the entirety of this letter today. And then we're going to look at what it helps us to understand about Paul's perspective on Christian brotherhood and kinship. And we're going to try to understand why it might have been important that first century Christians got a hold of this letter, passed this letter around, copied this letter down, and kept it alive so that you and I could have it. So we'll begin in Philemon chapter 1. It's the only chapter. Verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, 
because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was, for this reason, separated for you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, and how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greet, uh, Christ Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. A strange letter, but through this letter we can infer quite a bit of the backstory here. And it's a really strange story. And it can be also a very frustrating story too. Uh, part of that is because of our own history and our own understanding of certain things. Uh, we're clearly dealing with a master-slave relationship. And we're dealing with Christians. And we're dealing with the conflict between those relationships at times. Uh, so the backstory here is that there's a man, Philemon. And he has been a part of the Lord's church. He is a part of, he in fact has a church group that meets in his home and they have association with Paul because Paul was a part and Timothy as well of the ministry that helped to to plant the gospel where they live and Onesim or excuse me Philemon has a slave which was not uncommon in that time but this slave escapes runs away defrauds him possibly in some way maybe he stole money from him and escapes and flees and he ends up finding his way to where Paul is because he's now in need of help. He finds Paul, this man he knows to be important and significant to Philemon. And in the course of meeting Paul, Paul converts him to Christ, shares the gospel with him. He says that, that uh, he is his son in the faith. That's a, a phrase that Paul uses multiple times. And, but he says that he was begotten in my imprisonment. In other words, I, he became a child of God 
and a son in the faith to me while I was here when he came to me. So now Paul has this conundrum. He has a problem. By law, he is to send this man back to his owner because that's where he rightfully belongs and by law he must return and fulfill his commitment. But by faith, Paul wishes for Onesimus to join him in ministry, to encourage him and to keep him there with him. And also, now this is a Christian. This is no longer as simple as a runaway slave. This is now someone who shares a faith. What is Paul to do? Well, he appeals to Philemon and to his faith, and he says, you know, you and I have a really good relationship, and I know that I could tell you to do something and you'd do it, but I trust you so much, I'm going to just ask you to do this, and I will trust that you're going to do even beyond what I ask. And if there's any remaining problem, you just let me know. Let me be the one to take care of it. Don't hold it against this new young Christian, but I'm sending him back to you. And I want you to welcome him back, but not as your slave, and you not as his master, but as brethren in Christ. A kinship in the Lord they now have. It is important to note um, just what that master-slave relationship kind of looked like in this time period and in this culture. A little different than what we think of. Slavery... The owning of other people, the uh, servitude of others has been a fact of human existence almost from the beginning. Uh, Human beings are evil, we're kind of nasty, and we are constantly finding people who we deem to be less than, different, or better suited for a subjugated life. It still remains true in parts of the world that this exists. Uh, As humanity has progressed as our understanding both of God and our faith and even our understanding of the world around us has progressed, we, at least in our culture, have deemed this to be unacceptable. Uh, And for hundreds of years, there has been the slow movement of history away from oppression and injustice toward justice and liberty. Um, It's a work in progress. It doesn't get there overnight. We still wrestle with these conflicts. Yes, slavery did exist back then. It was different than what we understand slavery to be. And that's important to make that distinction, I think, in some way, not to apologize for it, but simply to understand what it is. Uh, We think of slavery the way that we understand it in our history. So we think uh, early part of American history. We think um, the the African slaves of the South. We, We think that way. We think very subjugated, very oppressed particular group of, uh, that's ethnically bound. Slavery in a lot of parts of the world over time has looked more like what we would call indentured servitude. Debts that could not be paid, wrongs that could not be righted, were handled by you pledging your life to another person for a period of time. Uh, and while that probably doesn't make it any more justified it does certainly help us to understand what this relationship was. That Onesimus in some way owed a debt or was indebted to or was trying to pay off something to Philemon. That's most likely. This was not someone that was captured against their will, sold, traded, what have you. It's very likely that he was simply a servant that was pledged and bound to someone by law for a period of time. 
But before that time had expired, before he had paid his debt, he broke his vow, he broke his covenant, and he escaped. We, it's very desirous for us, especially as Christians, but also in America, it's very desirous for us to hear one of our faith heroes, Paul, just come out and denounce slavery. It'd be really great if he would do that. But to ask that of Paul is to ask him to write words in the first century that matter to the ears of people in the 21st century. Uh, and we can allow that to trouble us or we can accept it for what it is. Paul could not conceive of a world in which this sort of relationship did not exist. The world was different. And if, if it bothers us that Paul maybe not condones, but maybe adjacent to condones some sort of slave-master relationship. Don't let that trouble you. Um, throughout history, people of faith find themselves in circumstances that the world dictates, and we live in it, and there are things that we live in today that we cannot comprehend not existing one day, but one day they will cease to exist, and Christians will have to learn to live in that paradigm. So the world turns and life goes on. And Paul is not condoning the act of owning other people or even having people's lives pledged by law to you. What he is recognizing is the truth of the relationships among people in the world around him. And Paul is choosing to live in the world that he finds himself in, as we too must do. And so what he says is, I know that by law he should go back to you, but by faith I don't want to. And so he reaches this compromise, sending Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter, asking him to accept him, but not as a slave, rather as a brother. We have no way of knowing what happened, by the way. Philemon could have been enraged. Uh, he could have taken that out on Onesimus. He could have punished him to the fullest extent of the law. He could have ignored Paul's request. I find that doubtful. Paul's a pretty sharp guy, and I don't think he would have said the things he said unless he felt he knew Philemon very, very well. But we really don't know what happens. We know what we hope happened. We know what we think might have happened. But we're left with nothing more than this simple letter from one Christian to another asking that they would do what they understand God's will to be in carrying out a relationship with someone else, a third party, someone that mattered to both of them for different reasons. In order for this letter to have made it to our Bible, it had to have mattered to Christians in the time it was written. So at some point, this letter goes beyond just the intended recipient. Someone got a hold of it, someone passed it around, someone saw it. The scripture that we have as a part of our New Testament is a fraction of what was written in the first century about Jesus and about Christian faith. But what we do have is what survived Roman oppression, what survived the, the centuries since and all the turmoil, and the things that were considered to be the most important amongst Christians. You could be put to death. You could be arrested and tortured and killed for possessing scripture. 
in, in the first century and in the early part of, of, of the church. So that meant that early Christians had to decide what's important to us. What are we willing to die for? What are we willing to be arrested and tortured to have in our possession? So that really narrowed the field of what they considered to be the best of the best, the most important of the most important, and somehow this had to have made the cut. In order for it to survive to be in your Bible today, the letter written from Paul to Philemon had to have made the cut of something they considered important. So to know why we have it, we have to know why they wanted it. Why would such correspondence matter? Why would it speak to them? I think the first reason is it's incredibly timely. I mean, it is incredibly significant for the current age that it was in, how it was written, when it was written, and what it would have meant to them. Because early Christians, in the early part of, of that first century, were struggling so mightily with fights outside of the church and within the church. There was a constant battle going on somewhere, either persecution and oppression that they were trying to withstand and survive, or their own internal struggles that they were trying to sort out. They had a law, especially the Jewish people, and primarily the church was made up of Jews for the, that first hundred years or so. The Jewish people had a law. They had order. They had something that told them who everyone was and where they fit into this story. And suddenly they're being told, that doesn't guide you anymore. Jesus guides you, and you're a whole new thing, a whole new creature, a whole new entity. And by the way, we're going to let some people in that you didn't get to let in before. And in come Gentiles, people from outside of their ethnic group, outside of their tribe, outside of their culture and tradition and law. And we see in the many letters that Paul and others wrote, this struggle and this conflict going on between groups of people who are different from one another and who are trying to understand God together. And amongst those conflicts, you had slaves and masters who were coming to accept Jesus together. And they faced the question of society says we are, have one kind of relationship, but Jesus says we have another who wins the law, which we're told to abide by and keep peace in the world. Paul's very big on law and getting along with the government. And yet, we're supposed to ignore that when it comes to our relationship in Christ. There was a constant struggle and a tension between the world around them and the relationships as defined by the world and relationships as defined by Christ. And it was very difficult to navigate. I think the book of Philemon, or the letter to Philemon, resonated with early Christians because it spoke to that very battle that they were facing. Because it spoke to the conflict and the turmoil going on amongst Christians in the church, struggling to find their place. The world would tell them one thing, and Jesus would tell them another. And to read the words of Paul helped to calm the storm. Because it pointed out that there is a point where we draw a line. There is a point at which we come to understand that the love of Jesus Christ is what trumps the law around us. And our relationships are defined by Jesus and not by the world. Paul makes this appeal to Philemon on the basis, on the basis of their kinship in Christ. Notice that. Because what he is calling Philemon 
to do with regard to Onesimus is exactly what Paul is doing with Philemon. I want you to treat Onesimus as your brother. And I'm asking you to do that on the basis of the fact that you and I are brothers. The kinship in Christ carries weight with it. It carries authority. I don't have any right to order any of you around in our daily life. I don't have authority over anybody in this room in any capacity. I don't even have that authority in here in a different capacity. But our relationship is brought into union with one another through Christ. And as a Christian, I can appeal to you when I'm in need. I can appeal to you when I have something that I'm struggling with that I need your help with. The love of God through Jesus Christ levels the playing field socially, economically, and politically. It brings peace to relationships that the world tries to stack into a hierarchy and define. There are no bosses and employees. There are no slaves and masters. There are no higher classes and lower classes in this body, in this group, in this fellowship of Christians. So does that mean that we have one kind of relationship outside these walls and then we check that at the, at the door and we have a different kind of relationship inside these walls? No, we don't put on a different kind of relationship when we walk in the door. It, it, it is a relationship that defines us every day, all the time. Now, it might be, and I've been in churches that are larger and have, have a, a different population, uh, you would have enough people that it's likely you would have people that work in the same place or that have a certain relationship at work. But if you happen to have an employer in church with you as the employee, you acknowledge that we are equals here uh, in this setting. But it would be very tempting to say that stops at the front door on Sunday morning and then you go back to being A and B, one and two, right? No, that's not what Paul is asking for. He is not saying that we change our relationship when we're engaged in activities of Christian fellowship and we go back to what the world defines us as later. He's saying it changes how you see other people, how you treat other people, and what your concern is for other people. Ministry, evangelism, doesn't stop. It permeates every part of every relationship we have and it guides how we live. And so the employer and the employee that are Christians sitting on the same pew together on Sunday morning should treat each other like Christian brethren when they go to work and clock in on Monday. Does that mean that the employer can't tell the employee what to do? No, we abide by relationships and rules. There is no indication here that Paul asks Philemon not to keep Philemon around as a servant or in that role, performing those duties and tasks. He simply says, you welcome him back as your brother in doing so. There are roles that exist in our world that we abide by, but how we treat one another in those roles and how we see one another in those roles is defined by something greater. And that brings us to a larger point. How does the way that we live out our role in this life Glorify Jesus Christ. 
You may work with nothing but non-Christian co-workers. Do you look at them as your co-workers? Or do you look at them as souls that Jesus died to save? Philemon was looking at Onesimus as his servant, and suddenly he's sent back to him, and he's not just his servant anymore. He's his brother in Christ, and he has to change his frame of mind for how he will treat him, how he will fellowship with him, and how he will love him. What if we took that idea into those situations ahead of time and said, regardless of how the world defines you and I, I see you the way Jesus sees you, and that is how I will treat you. And I hope that you will accept Jesus Christ too, and we can be brethren and not something else anymore. What if we looked at the world around us through those lenses and we didn't see the differences in employment status and pay grade, or we didn't see the difference in societal markings, in societal hierarchy and pecking order? What if we didn't see income and socioeconomic standing? What if we didn't see political differences? What if we didn't see ethnic differences? What if we didn't see differences even of personality and of preference? What if we understood that everyone is a child of God because God created them and Jesus died for them? What if we looked at them as souls that needed to be shown the love of Jesus? What if we went in desiring the relationship that Philemon and Onesimus are both called to? Can you imagine how that would change our interactions? If you walk into a room of people and they're not just classmates or co-workers, but they are souls that you long to be bound to in fellowship. If that's how you saw people, would it change the way you live? If you truly believed the words of the Bible, that God wants everyone to be saved, if you truly believed that, would it change the way you live? It's possible that Philemon, in his wildest imagination, could never have conceived that Onesimus would become a Christian and that he would need to treat him accordingly. And maybe he would have. If Onesimus had stayed and said, you know what, I think I want to give my life to Jesus Christ, Philemon might have said, wonderful, we're brethren now, that's great. It took a little bit of a rocky road to get there. But what if Philemon had thought of him that way from the beginning? What if he had looked at, at every relationship and every kind of way that we are tied to one another as an opportunity to share the gospel, an opportunity to bring someone into the ultimate fulfillment of what their life can be so that you can have that deeper meaning, so that you can have that more equitable kind of relationship and a fellowship that goes beyond all the things that makes us different and tries to separate us. Because at the end of the day, that's what the world is about. The world is about destruction and division and pain and suffering. That's what this world is. It's got some good parts. There's some beautiful scenery. Every now and then there's a good football game on TV. But for the most part, this life is harsh. And it's painful. And it divides and destroys and injures. And the purpose of Christ is to heal and unify, and correct. 
not so that this life is better, but so that the next life is attainable. And so if we said to the world, no, we're not going to let you do that to us. I'm not just going to improve the relationship with my Christian brethren and the people that I fellowship with regularly. I'm not just going to work to have a deep, meaningful relationship with them. And I'm not just going to work to have a deep, meaningful relationship for anybody that walks in that door and decides to give their life to Christ. I'm going to go into the world and say, I don't care what you say. I don't care how you define these people and how you say I should treat them or they should treat me. I will treat them the way God treated them with love and as worthy of the sacrifice of his son. And I will reflect the glory of Christ and love them until they ask me why. I will show them the beauty and the love of Christ and hope that they accept it. And I hope that every relationship in this world that I have can be fulfilled in a joining together and a kinship in Christ. But even until that day, even if that never happens, I will still love them just as much. Don't wait until Jesus changes the relationship. Look at the relationship differently and be the change that is needed in the world. Now more than ever. Well, maybe not now more than ever. I mean... We used to have sitting congressmen beating each other over the head with walking canes. It happened. Uh, the guy's name was Charles Sumner. Anyway, there, maybe, maybe, we, maybe that would fix a few things. We may not be as divided as we've ever been. People say that all the time. I think we've always had a lot of division. I think we just see it more now. Okay, the New York Times wasn't there to get a picture of Mr. Sumner getting his face caved in. But we live in a time where our division is more amplified and where more and more and more people are profiting from our division. And not just monetarily, but in terms of power and influence. And in, in the most important way, they're profiting through destroying communities of faith, making the church less and less relevant, making the message of Christ less and less in the mainstream and more and more on the margin. The world and the forces of this world want to divide and destroy because it's in their best interest to do so. And that's the opposite of what we're called to as Christians. And I think the reason that the letter from Paul to Philemon is in our Bible today is because it's a message that speaks to the heart of the human being for all time. That God sets all things right. That he brings all people together. That he heals division and that he brings justice to unjust parts of our world. That equality and love and fellowship is possible through Jesus Christ. Don't wait for the Spirit to move in someone to bring you into unity. Be the advocate for that unity in how we treat other people. Be the change that Jesus wants you to be in this world. Not for the sake of this world, but for the sake of those who will live with us in the next life. Bring some people along with you. Love them until they ask you why. That's how we should live. I am thankful to God that a small letter from one person to another person that had nothing to do with me and nothing to do with anybody else that might have read that letter except for those two people. I'm thankful it made its way to me. 
It's older than the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Magna Carta. And yet it lives here for us to learn. Jesus wants to see us reflecting his glory and bringing people into union, a kinship of Christ. Let's be pursuing that. And let's pray that we can all achieve something to defeat this world and its desire to divide. If you need encouragement or prayer or wish to give your life to Christ, the opportunity to do so is always extended, but particularly now as Tim rises to lead us in song.